Good evening, everyone. It's lovely to be back uh, tonight. Um, I haven't got to know everyone yet, but hopefully I will get that opportunity in the coming uh, weeks and months. And hello to those who are, of course, joining on the live stream as well. And before we turn back and consider uh, those verses that Chris read in Galatians chapter 3, uh, please join me as we pray and we ask for God's help this evening. Let's pray together. Lord God, we bow to you. You're the creator. You are the savior of your people. You are the one who holds our very lives in your hand. And we look to you as feeble and sinful creatures tonight, crying out to you for help. How we long to worship you. Uh, truly and properly, how we long to know uh, your assistance, your present aid, and we long to learn of you. So we ask, Lord God, as we consider these verses, that truly you would speak, that we would hear uh, your voice, that none of these words would fall to the ground, uh, that they would be effective. We do pray uh, for your grace, your grace, to be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray, for his name's sake. Amen. Okay, so this, uh, this past week, just a few days ago, as I uh, was searching online uh, for something uh, else entirely, for a book, I came across a podcast, and it was a podcast with a twist. So I stumbled upon this uh, podcast, and it, it peaked my interest. Because instead of the, you know, maybe what it's like with podcasts, instead of the usual vague, amorphous uh, theme, the makers of this podcast, they claim to do something quite interesting, something different. This was their claim. You ready for it? They claimed in these podcasts to tackle the most important questions of all. Okay, the most important questions, the, the questions that everyone everywhere was asking. So that distracted me. You can see why it might distract me. I thought, this sounds interesting. What do we have here? So uh, let me turn this over to you. What do you think might be addressed? It's quite a big claim, isn't it? The biggest questions of all time. What do you think? Maybe the meaning of life in a podcast? Perhaps. Maybe the path to better, long-lasting health. <laughs> no. Here are some of the more recent episodes. One, do more expensive wines really taste better? Episode two, does forking out for a university degree, does it really pay off financially in the end? So you can see I felt a little bit a little bit let down, a little bit betrayed. These might be important questions to you. I, I, I don't know, but they are surely not the most important questions in all of the universe. Certainly not. Well, this evening, actually, what I want us to do in our time together really is to delve into what is surely the weightiest matter of them all to spend a little bit of time together considering what is surely the, the biggest question imaginable. And what is that? Surely it is this. How is it that a person can be made right in the sight of an almighty God? Now, are you with me? 
Isn't that the weightiest matter of them all? When everything falls apart, when everything is said and done, how can a person, in the last reckoning of things, as they stand before the throne of judgment, how can they be found to be right in the sight of the God who created them, the God who has given them life? That is more important than any taste of any wine. And to tackle this, what we're going to do, obviously, is we're going to jump into that section that we read together in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 from verse 10. And and I suppose, let me give the game away. Let me kind of spell out what we will uh, think about or what we will see tonight. This evening, I suppose in a way, we are confronted with two suggested ways to God. You follow? This evening, there are two ways, two ideas, two claims to righteousness before God, two two paths, and paths that Scripture is going to show us tonight, paths that are far from equally valid. So, you're with me? We get a big question. How can we be right before God? And uh, as I did this morning, uh, can I encourage you as we look at this to have Scripture open? Can I encourage the people at home uh, to do the same, to run and grab a copy of Scripture? Um, Galatians 3. And uh, we'll think, first of all, about option one, and that is the way of works. Option one, the way of works. And uh, I'll say this just in case you panic later on, we will spend the majority of our time here. So later on, when you see me go into a second thing, you do, you do not have to panic. We will spend most of our time. In option one, the supposed way to God, the way of works. Now, if you've got your Bible open, and even if the, the kids can have a look at Scripture, if you look at verse 10 with me, what do you, do you see? Like immediately in verse 10, you see reference to you to this, all who rely on, what is it? All who rely on observing the law. So just stay there, think about that. All those who rely on observing the law. So who are we dealing with? What is this about? Well, if you and I are going to understand anything here, I think we just have to very briefly try to get to grips with the background of this situation, don't we? That's, that's obvious. So if this evening we were to jump into a TARDIS, I don't know if the lift doubles up as a, a TARDIS, but if we were to jump in a time machine, go back a couple of thousand years to this situation, what would we find? Where would we be? Well, we'd obviously be in a place called Galatia, wouldn't we? So that's modern-day Turkey. And we'd be in amongst a group of churches that were made up largely of Gentile converts, Gentile Gentile believers. Okay, now, what has happened at this point of time is that these churches have been infiltrated by what we call today Judaizers. Now, have we heard this term? Do we know what is meant by Judaizers? What do these people do? The Judaizers, they seem to be a group of men who have perhaps actually come up from Jerusalem. So they've traveled up to Galatia. Now, wait for this. They're teaching these Galatian converts this. They're saying to these churches, yes, you can follow Jesus. 
This Jesus of Nazareth, yes, you can, you can follow him. But if you want to be right with God, truly right with God, you also need to be circumcised. Do, do you see the idea? Do, do you hear it? The Judaizers are saying to them, yeah, oh, Jesus of Nazareth, yep, follow him if you want to. But you, you also need to put yourself under the law. You need to be adhering to the Mosaic Code, the Mosaic Commandments. And friends, what does Paul do? Paul writes to these Galatian Christians, and, and I'll say this to you, he's, he's, in a sense, not just passionate here. You know, he's angry. Maybe you can, you can see why he's angry. That idea is a denial of Jesus. It's a denial of the sufficiency of Jesus. You see it, don't you? If these Galatians, if they rely on circumcision if they put themselves under the law, whatever else they're doing, they are before God. They're pointing to themselves. They're pointing to their own law keeping as the basis for what makes them right in God's sight. Paul is angry. So this way, do we see? Do we see the idea, the essence of it, this way of works, earning the favor of God? Well, actually, what I want us to do just now under this heading, what I want to do is to try and address three questions about this supposed way to God. And it's questions that you might hear, and to be honest, it's questions you might have at this very point. I'm sure you will, you will follow these. The first question is this. You see this idea, these Judaizers' idea, this way of works. Is this not completely <laughs> irrelevant? Maybe you're asking that. Maybe some of the kids, maybe some of the older kids, maybe some of the teenagers, maybe some of you are asking that. I mean, come on. You know, 2,000 years ago, maybe some of the people say, I don't, there's, I don't have any Judaizers in the workplace. <laughs> I don't know any Judaizers in school. Is this, is this not entirely relevant? Well, if that has even crossed your mind, I would urge you to see just how, 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 how commonplace, in fact, can I go and say how universal really this idea seems to be? Because we've all got, don't we? We've all got phones, mobile phones. We've all got laptops, devices, tablets, computers, do we? At home, maybe sitting in our pocket just now. We've all got them. So we all know what is meant by restoring factory settings, do we? Don't do it just now, <laughs> or I will get myself in a, in, a, in a hot water, a whole lot of trouble. But we know what will happen if you press that restore factory settings button. What's going to happen? Most of the stuff on your phone and all your apps, right, and all the periphery stuff, it's all going to vanish, and your phone will go back to really how it was made. Your phone goes back into to how it came into the world, right? Isn't that what happens? Restore factory says, I want you to understand and appreciate that really when we're thinking about the Judaizers, that's what we're dealing with. Like, do you see it? That such is our sin, that the default setting of the human heart is actually to look to ourselves and to look to our works to earn righteousness before God. This is because of our sin and rebellion and our pride. Our pride. We think we can do this. We think I can earn righteousness. I can earn God's favor. And you can see it, can't you? Think about other religions. How do they function? 
You know, pilgrimages. I'll go on this pilgrimage. I'll go on this fast to earn, earn that righteousness with God. Or what about your agnostic friends? They wouldn't agree with me. They wouldn't agree with you. But you can see it's the same. What do they do? They hedge their bets. <laughs> they do, don't they? they? They rely upon living a certain way to earn the favor. Should God exist? Now, what about liberal Christianity? You know it's the same, don't you? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll rely on my morality. I'll rely on my, my charitable or volunteer acts to earn that favor with God. Are you really thinking, even for a second, this stuff is irrelevant in your schools, your school friends, in your workplace, in your home, in our homes? And actually, to be honest, Often in our hearts, the same idea, earning righteousness before God, that same idea prevails. But then a second question we have to ask here. Okay, we understand it's relevant to our world, universal almost, this attitude. But how, how do we know it's wrong? Did you see the question? Did you follow the question? We're saying tonight this way of trying to earn God's favor, trying to earn this status of righteousness, it's, it's, it's not right, doesn't happen. How do we know that that is the case? Well, to think about that, I suppose just for a moment, I would ask you to think about debating and debating clubs. Were you ever in a debating club when you were younger? Have you ever seen this happen? wasn't really a thing for us growing up in Inverness. We didn't really do this, but it's really taken off, I think, in a lot of our secondary schools, maybe from uh, an American influence. Right, say you've never been in a debate in your life. You still know what happens, don't you? There'll be a stage, there'll be a couple of these, podia, two on either side, won't there? And there'll be a figure behind each one. What, they're trying to take in their turns, aren't they? to try and convince the audience. Well, for a moment, I'm going to ask you to engage your imagination, just for a moment. I ask you to imagine the Apostle Paul going up in a debate against one of these Judaizers here. Can you imagine that? Can you go with me on that? Imagine this debate with Paul, one of the Judaizers. Now, my question for you if you're engaging in this is, what, what, what do you think would be the best possible outcome for Paul in that debate. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think is the best possible outcome? Is it this? Paul listens, he hears the Judaizer. The Judaizer puts forward a verse that in the Judaizer's mind seems to indicate the law, the law's role in salvation. What do you think the best possible outcome would be? Paul comes back with a different verse. And it's a verse that seems to knock that idea out of the water. And Paul convinces not just the audience, but the Judaizer. Is that maybe the best thing that we could, best possible outcome? What I want you to understand, what I want you to see is that Galatians 3 is even bigger and better and brighter. Because if you look at it, do you see what Paul does here? What Paul does is, yes, he hears the Judaizer's argument, but listen to what he does. What Paul seems to do is he takes their own verses. You see, he doesn't put forward another verse. He actually seems to take, he listens to them, but he seems to take their own proof 
texts and he takes those verses and he shows how they're interpreting it wrong and he takes their proof text to lay before us truth. Now, there's a number of examples, but I just want to show you one. So can I ask you to look at your Bibles, to look at verse 10, and maybe the kids can do this as well, maybe even the boys and girls at home. If you look for the quotation marks, now see if you can find them. The kids, can you find them? The quotation marks in verse 10, you've got it. So Paul there is quoting Deuteronomy 27. Now I'll just paraphrase that if you listen to me for a sec. Paraphrase it as Deuteronomy saying, cursed are those, listen carefully, cursed are those who don't obey the law. Now, can you see why the Judaizers might have wanted to use that? They're saying to the Galatians, you, yeah, you want to be right with God, you, you've, you've got to obey the law. They come to Deuteronomy 27 and it's saying, cursed are those who don't obey the law. You can see the Judaizers, they're rubbing their hands together. This seems to support their cause, doesn't it? Maybe it sounds maybe even a little bit convincing to you. Ah, but now for the Apostle Paul, because look back at this quotation. Look back at what Paul does. Do you see it? Paul underlines the comprehensiveness of, of God's standard of righteousness. Read it with me. See, it's not cursed as everyone who doesn't obey the law. Look what it is. Cursed as everyone who does not continue to do. What's the next word? Cursed as everyone who does not continue to do everything that's written in the law. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's showing the utter impossibility of this Judaizer's view. He's saying to the Galatians, yes, if you can keep all of the law, if you can keep everything in the law, yes, God will embrace you. Yes, God will accept you. But he's saying to the Galatians, what do you know? You know because of our nature, because of our sin, we can never do it. We can't keep the whole of the law all of the time. We fall short. In one fell swoop here, the Apostle Paul exposes works righteousness. Friends, for the lie it is, works righteousness exposed for the utter and true deceit that it really is. But then a third question here. A question you might have. Okay, we see it's widespread. We see the logic. The question you might be asking just now, really, you might be saying, Andy, Man, is this really such a big deal? You know, okay, we, we get, you know, Paul's pointing out we can't earn our righteousness before God. But is this not a bit theoretical? You know, it's, it's late on a Sunday night. We could be phoning our family. Maybe there's something good on the TV. I don't know. Is this really worth our attention? Is it? Is this such a big deal? Well, to answer that, I would just ask you to see that first word in that quotation in verse 10. One word, one solitary word. Do you see it in verse 10? Cursed. Cursed are all those who follow this path. Cursed are all who rely on the law. Now let me turn that to you this evening. And ask you, what, what do you think Paul is meaning there with that idea of cursed, cursing? Maybe some of you think there's a, a psychological element 
to that cursing. Do you know, if you think that, I'm, I'm right behind you. I want to spell it out as clearly as I can. That trying to earn God's eternal favor it is a horrible way to live. Like not only will you be plagued by guilt as you fail to meet up to even your own standards of righteousness, you know, the guilt will be horrific. Not only that, but let me tell you, you will never have one moment of peace in your life, not a second. If you are trying to earn God's eternal favor, you will never know if you've done enough. You will never have a second of assurance of your salvation. There is a psychological element to this. But I think in this congregation, I think we all know there's more to it. I think we know that there is a spiritual dimension, a real spiritual dimension to this curse. Because what does your Bible make clear? That our God is a God of such perfection and holiness and goodness that he has to punish evil. You get that, don't you? Such is his goodness. He has to be intolerant. He has to punish wrongdoing. It would be unjust of God not to do that. So you see, don't you, where this supposed path really leads. The Judaizers say this is the path to God, but no, this works-based attempts to righteousness, it leads to condemnation. We break one law, we break it all. This leads to our curse. This leads to the second death. And you think with me, don't you? No wonder Paul is passionate. No wonder in Galatians, Paul is angry. Everything is on the line here. So we see option one, do we? We see the way of works. But I said, please don't panic. Second of all, we see here option two, and that is not the way of works. And kids, if you listen to make sure you get the title, it's not the way of works. It is the way of faith. You got it? That's the second way, the way of faith. Now, if you were complain, if you were to complain uh, to me just now that what we've just dealt with is, uh, is a bit detailed and a bit heavy uh, on our Sunday evening, then you would probably have something of my uh, sympathy. It is. It is heavy, isn't it, in a sense, this idea that this path eh, that so many people that we love and know follow, they try to earn God's righteousness, that's a path that leads to condemnation. That's, isn't that a solemn reality? Isn't that a somber thing? But I want to promise you this, that what we come to next, what we come to now, in fact, is so beautifully uplifting for the people of God. Because maybe you see what Paul does in verse 11. He takes, I think, another Judaizer proof text from Habakkuk chapter 2, and he introduces for us, he introduces the idea of faith. Now, I wonder, especially if you are not a Christian in here or at home, and maybe you're new uh, to Christianity in churches like ours, I wonder sincerely if you see why that's uplifting or that's exciting. Do you, do you see why it's exciting? We've just seen that this path that so many people follow, this path of trying to earn righteousness, it's a 
dead end, or worse, in a sense. It's a, it's a, it's a path that leads to condemnation. What's, why is this good news? Because that's not the end of the story. That Paul here is unfolding the fact that there is an, there's another way. There's a real way. There is actually in existence a way where we can be found right in God's sight. There is a way to be just before him. This is exciting. So what question do we ask? Well, if this is about faith, if he's introduced the idea of faith, you can see the question, can't you? Faith in what? Faith in, in, in whom? Well, I, I do wonder how many of the congregation are on Twitter. I wonder how many people have got uh, Twitter uh, accounts. Even if we don't have Twitter, I think we probably know what we're dealing with, don't we, when I talk about Twitter? Do we? So it's social media, but it's a platform where people post comments. And what's the thing about Twitter? The idea originally was that it had to be concise, didn't it? Twitter limits the amount of words that you're able to use. It limits the amount of characters as you post these statements. Well, you know what? In front of you, I think you've got something akin to that. Because if you look at verse 13... What Paul does to show us this second way, he quotes, I suppose, what might be an existing statement of faith. But the thing about it, the thing I love about it, is how beautifully concise it is. Do you know what you could say, maybe with, with reverence? Verse 13, like a tweet. A tweet, a short, concise statement that really gets to the nature of this way to God. So you will follow me with it. Let's look at the tweet, shall we? Just look at it in verse 13 in stages. What do you see as you look down at verse 13? The first thing you see is mention of Christ. Just stop there. Christ is mentioned. We know what is meant by that, the anointed one, the Messiah of God. Do you see what Paul is doing here? He's showing us that since you can't meet that standard of righteousness, that I can't meet the standard of righteousness. Paul's introducing the idea, what what has God done? God has provided one who can and who has met his standard of righteousness. He's showing us that God, by his grace, has provided a saviour who acts for us. It's amazing, isn't it? Christ is introduced. But I would ask you to read on in the tweet. What's next? Look at this in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, now, let's leave it there. That's an idea we know very well in churches like ours, isn't it? The idea of being redeemed. We know that that's a shopping metaphor, if you like. It's a commercial metaphor, isn't it? The fact that by our sin, every single one of us in the room, young and not so young, and everyone at home, everyone by our sin, we all had a price on our head. All of us set to face God's righteous anger, our law breaking, and our sin, and our rebellion. And what does Paul say? What has Christ done? Christ Jesus has actually, he's paid the price on his people's head. He's actually ransomed us. Think about it, Christian friend. He's actually paid for us, paid the debt, the price of our eternal debt by sin. It's, it's wonderful. But maybe you're asking, how did he do it? It's not a monetary price. 
Well, you keep going in this tweet in verse 13. And if you hear nothing else this evening, (laughs) if it all goes in one ear and out the other, make sure you get the next bit of this verse. I read it to you here. How did Christ do this? Paul says, Christ redeemed from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Let me repeat it. How did he do it? He became a curse for us. Now, every one of us in this room can see that there is the idea of an exchange there. Our curse. He took our curse. He dealt with it by becoming a curse. You all see that there is the idea of substitution. But such is the mystery of this, the wonder of this. I simply want to give you two things to think about in relation to this idea, please hear them. The first is to consider the reality of that, Christ becoming a curse for you and for me. I wonder, um, were you here this morning? Some of you were. I wonder if you weren't, if you tuned in and you watched the worship service. Did you? Did you? If you did, Surely what struck you about Psalm 22 was the horror of what the Lord Jesus Christ has endured for us. Now, what do we know about that anguish and that horror? We we know that it wasn't just because of a death. I mean, the horror, the, the, the anguish was not just because he was in pain, not just because he was being crucified, We know that the anguish was due to the very real spiritual dimension of what was happening there to Jesus at Calvary. And and what was that? I I ask you to just think about the Exodus for a moment. You can cast your mind back to that, can you not? To the plagues, we remember them. The children remember the plagues. What was happening? Do you see, do you, that just as in Moses' day, Darkness engulfed Egypt. And why? As a sign of the divine curse upon that land. So what is happening at Golgotha? Why the anguish? At noon, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness, it falls over the land. Why darkness at Golgotha? Why? Because there Jesus Christ was bearing your sin. He was bearing your curse upon his shoulders. There the Lord Jesus Christ swallowed up, soaked up all of God's wrath at all of his people's sin. And Jesus Christ endured that in its entirety. Consider the reality of this bearing of the curse. But then the second element of it is to notice the evidence of the curse. Because make sure with me, you get to the end of the tweet. Look at the end of verse 13. Look at the evidence here. How does Paul conclude this concise statement? Do you see in verse 13? He's born the the curse. He's become a curse for us. For, Paul says, for cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree and you see the genius. You see he's taken the Judaizers, he's taken the Galatians and he's taken them to the law. 
isn't he? He's pointing them back to the fact that under the old covenant, not only were lawbreakers very often, they were stoned to death, executed by stoning. But then what happened? These lawbreakers were strung up, hoisted, put up on a tree, this symbol portrayed, people pointing, saying that is a sign of their godlessness. They are ungodly. They are under a curse. And isn't that amazing tonight as Christians to consider that in relation to Jesus Christ? Because what does Paul recognize? Paul here considers Calvary. He considers the cross and he realizes that even the manner of Jesus' death, even the crucifixion, that it was a crucifixion, even that Roman tree, that Roman cross, even the manner of his death bore witness to the greatest mystery of all. And isn't it mysterious that the Son of God, pure, perfect, good, that he died under a divine curse. He bore my sin. He bore my sin. He bore your sin. Christian friend, that you might be free, that you might be redeemed. Do you see it? What is the path? How do we answer the question? What is the way to righteousness before God? Can we earn it? Can we merit it? No. Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the faith, the faith must be in him. So we've seen tonight two supposed ways to God, but there is only one, and it is Christ. But I want to end. You might be pleased to hear that. But I want to end just with a, a number, just a couple of concluding applications. Because that is, don't you think, an, an often underappreciated element in our preaching. We, we want application. We want truth, but we want to know how to live for our God and our Savior. So I want to end with three bullet points. That is all three bullet points of how this applies, how this should shape us. First is this, what we've seen tonight, I really believe, Christian friend, that should refresh our gospel living. It should refresh your gospel living. I read the following quote this week. It's just one line, but it really struck, struck a chord with me, and perhaps it will with you. And I'll paraphrase it. The chap writing it, he said this. He said, we start out the Christian life, and we are relying on Christ and Christ alone. But we can so easily fall back into a works righteousness mode. That struck a chord with me. I'm sure it maybe does with you. Doesn't it ring true? That even as people who are born again and we know so much of, of God's truth and we know how these things work, what happens? Slowly but surely we find ourselves relating to God or trying to relate to God on the basis of our merits. How do we think about our relationship with God sometimes? It's duty. Oh, responsibility. And the sense of guilt is incessant. Now you hear me carefully, closely here, we must pursue holiness. We must pursue holiness. Antinomianism has no place in our lives. But maybe you need to be reminded of the very elementary things of Christianity tonight. Do you, friend, 
Isn't this good news? As you sit there tonight, maybe at home or in this room, you've trusted and believed in Jesus Christ. As you sit there tonight, you are right with God. You just now right with God. You are cleansed. You are forgiven. You have no need, Christian friend, to seek to try and earn God's eternal favor. Why not? Because it's yours. Christ has merited it for you. No matter how you're dressed at church tonight, if you're in Christ, you're dressed in him. You sit there in the fine robes of Christ's righteousness. What does that mean? It means tomorrow we can go out into the world with liberty. We can live in light of that good news. So it refreshes our gospel living. Second bullet point. Do you know what we've seen tonight? Really and truly, it should refuel our evangelistic concern. Don't you think so? It should refuel our evangelistic zeal. You see it, don't you? Consider the enormity of this. We're saying tonight that everyone in this world, everyone in Dundee who is outside of Jesus Christ, everyone is living under a curse. Do we think about that? Everyone, your friends, your family, your colleagues, these people who are outside of Jesus Christ, they are all, because of their law-breaking and sin, their rebellion, they're all set to face condemnation. Do we think about it? We have to ensure that at St. Peter's, we do not become that holy huddle, don't we? Yeah, we've got to prioritize fellowship. We have to love each other. But the people of this city, the people in your life, maybe we are forgetting that they desperately, they desperately need Jesus Christ. They need to hear of Jesus and the righteousness that only he, only he provides And then the last thing, the last, the very last thing, the third bullet point. So it refreshes our gospel living, refuels us for evangelism. But I think this tonight should result in repentance and faith. And here, let me close by addressing those in the room again and those online who are are strangers to Jesus and who have not repented, not come to Jesus Christ, who are not Christians, not born again. And to you, I would just point you to the great benefits that Paul spells out of coming to Christ in verse 14. Maybe you'll look at it with me. I mean, do you see it? If we come to Christ and, and what happens, his people, we enjoy the blessings of Abraham, the covenant of grace and its, its promises. Look at this. We even receive the distinguishing mark of the Christian. We receive the Holy Spirit. In short, we receive everlasting life. What I want you to appreciate, if you're not a Christian, if you've begun this service outside of Christ, what I want you to appreciate is you can have this tonight. Now, did you hear that? Did you appreciate it? We're talking about how to be right with God. What a weighty matter. Now, you can have that. You can be right before God this very hour. If you will only respond to the preaching of the gospel, 
by turning from your faith, from your sin rather, to Christ Jesus, turn to him in faith, then at this hour, our God in the heavenly places will declare you just, declare you right. You will be justified forever at this hour. In light of the simplicity of this, in light of the extent of what Christ has done, surely you come to him tonight, you bow, you believe in him. And then you say with the rest of us, with the people of God, surely we say this, nothing in our hand we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious Father, how we come to you and we worship you, we do confess uh, how readily we look to ourselves, such as our pride. We think that we can merit righteousness in your sight, O Lord. We thank you that though that is impossible, we thank you that you have provided a righteous one. We thank you that Christ Jesus has lived our life, has represented us and earned heaven for his people. We pray that all the glory and honor and praise will be his. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.